This morning I brought a hammer with me. Don't worry, <laughs> I'm not going to throw it at anybody. But a hammer is one of those interesting tools, you know, it's got within it uh, built in a way to fix whatever mistake you make with the other side, right? Um, you know, a hammer, you think about it, a hammer, you use it for building, uh, but you can also use it to tear stuff up. And, and that's really more fun than building, right? Uh, but even when you're building something, driving in a nail, how many times do you hit it wrong, bend the nail, and then you have to do what? You turn it over, use the claw to fix the mistake. Now, you can use the claw to tear stuff up too, I have found, but the primary purpose of this hammer, uh, the claw specifically, is to fix whatever mistake you made with the other end. And when you think about it, we are all kind of like the hammer. Uh, sometimes we're like the nail, we're being beaten up by life, but a lot of times we're the ones doing the pounding. We're going through life, making mistakes, disobeying God, and even hurting other people, whether intentionally or unintentionally, and we tend to make a mess out of our lives. But thankfully, God provides a way for us to fix that mistake. Through His grace, through His mercy, God can repair the damage that we caused. Now, if you think about it, we've seen both of those things through this journey through the book of Jonah. We saw Jonah to begin with running from God, making a mess of his life, ending up overboard in the belly of a fish, and then inside that fish, we saw God provide a way to fix that mistake. He received God's grace and forgiveness, and then he obeyed God. We see the Ninevites, who one of the, if not the most wicked people the world has ever known, they killed, they murdered innocent children, tortured people. They were evil and made a mess out of their city, out of their little world. Jonah announces God's judgment, and we see in chapter 3, God provides a way to fix even that mistake. God's grace, His mercy, is enough to fix, His forgiveness is enough to fix any mistake that we make. And that's the beauty of forgiveness. That's the beauty of God's grace. Now, we've walked through this journey over the past few weeks. We've seen examples of these things. And you would think that everybody involved that saw this mass conversion would be excited would be elated that so many people had come to trust in the one true God. But that's not necessarily the case, as we'll see today. The greatest revival in history. We finished our series on Jonah today. And if you'll remember, just going back, kind of a review, or the purpose in this series, the book of Jonah, really, is about two things. It's about the will of God and how we respond to it. Jonah's shown us the wrong way and the right way to respond to the will of God. It's also about the love of God and how we share it. Will we receive the love of God, and then we'll, are we willing to share that love 
regardless of who God calls us to share that love with. When we left last week, the Ninevites had received the message of judgment. They had turned from their sin and they had turned to God and received a pardon, received the mercy of God. Instead of destroying the city, God relents. He decides to spare the city. And if there had ever been a cause for rejoicing, it was at that moment. And I'm sure there was plenty of rejoicing in the city. But Jonah, the prophet of God, who should have been rejoicing, decides to throw a pity party for himself. Gets angry at God for not destroying this city. Look at verse 1 in chapter 4. It's where we'll be today. Chapter 4, verses 1. We'll just read all the way through verse 11. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He's angry. Not only is he not rejoicing that these people's lives have been spared, he's angry about it. He prayed to the Lord, Please, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? I knew you would do this. I told you you would do this. That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to become angry, rich in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. Not exactly a sentence you would expect somebody to say in anger, right? But somehow Jonah is angry that God is merciful, as if he hasn't experienced that mercy himself. And now, Lord, verse 3, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. The Lord asks, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah left the city and sat down east of it. He made himself a shelter there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew up to provide shade over Jonah's head to ease his discomfort. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. When dawn came, the next day God appointed a worm to attack the plant and it withered. God's teaching him a lesson here, don't you think? As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down so much on Jonah's head that he almost fainted and he wanted to die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. Then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, he replied, it is right. I'm angry enough to die. So the Lord said, you cared about the plant, which you did not labor over and did not grow It appeared in a night and perished in a night. Should I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120 people, 120 men, actually, almost 600 people total, who cannot distinguish between their right and their left as well as many animals? Um, What an amazing turnaround. The book of Jonah just kind of comes full circle, doesn't it? I mean, think about it. You go back to chapter 1, we've got two individuals. We've got two personalities. We have Jonah, we have God. And then the sailors on the ship enter the story. And we see that whole scene unfold where they have to throw Jonah overboard because he's running from God. And then we see the Ninevites come into the story. Uh, their, their judgment pronounced. They turn from their sin. They turn to God. God shows grace. And then here we are at the end, back pretty much where we started. Just Jonah and God. And, and you know, that's pretty much how it is with us. 
You know, God will call us to minister to people. He will call us to share his love with others. But in the beginning and in the end, it really comes down to one thing. It comes down to you, myself, as individuals and how we respond to the Lord. Whether or not we are going to allow him to be Lord of our lives. Whether we are truly going to allow him to be God in our lives, to call the shots. Whether we will submit to him. And that's what we want to look at this morning. Are we allowing God to be God in our lives? Now, I'm not trying to limit God. God can do whatever he wants, but he does not force himself on us. We have to make a choice to submit to his will. And, And when we do that, we experience his plan, his perfect plan for our lives. We experience the joys of knowing him, obeying him, growing in him, and helping others to know him and grow in him. But if we choose not to, if we choose not to submit to the Lord, then we suffer consequences. So will we? Will we really let God be God in our lives? Well, if we're going to do that, the first thing we need to do, we need to have the proper perspective on life, on the Lord, on his plan for our lives. We need to have his perspective on our lives. This is Jonah's second prayer, but it's a little bit different from the first one, right? You think about it, Jonah prayed his best prayer in the worst place inside the fish, and he prays his worst prayer in really the best place, in a a place where revival is happening. What an amazing change in his outlook, in his countenance, in his, his attitude toward God. In one prayer, he comes to God with a broken heart inside the fish. He's asking for forgiveness. In this prayer, in chapter 4, he comes before God with an angry heart. He's angry at God for showing mercy on these people. And it gives us a glimpse into really the secret of why Jonah tried to run in the first place. Look look at verse 2. It goes beyond hatred for the Ninevites. He says, Please, Lord... Was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, this is the New American Standard Version, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, one who relents concerning calamity. This is, again, this is Jonah saying, God, I told you that you would do this. I knew you would do this. Now think about it. Why? Does this upset him so much that God would do what he's done and show mercy on these people? Well, we talked about how much the Jews hated the Ninevites, hated Assyria as a whole. And, and you know, rightfully so, they were an evil people and it had caused them a lot, of, a lot of harm. But go back to the message that Jonah preached, the, the, the message God had given him. He goes into the city and he announces judgment. God is going to destroy the city. He doesn't say anything about if you turn from sin, God will forgive you. That's not the message. That's not what he had said. He announces as a prophet of God, God is going to destroy this city. And then what happens? God relents because the people turn from their sin. They repent, turn from their sin, turn to him. And he ends up not destroying the city. So I believe Jonah's thinking, well, now I'm going to be labeled a false prophet. I gave the message and you didn't do it. And so there goes my reputation. 
Also, he's concerned about his reputation in front of the Ninevites, people he didn't like anyway. But also, think about the people back home. The city that the, the Israelites, the Jews, wanted to destroy, now Jonah has a hand in their salvation, in saving these people. He could have been considered a traitor by his own people for being a part, an instrument in them being saved. So he's concerned about his reputation before the Ninevites. He's concerned about his reputation in front of his people. He is plain and simple angry because God showed mercy. And he is worried about his own reputation. Jonah was narrow-minded. He was a narrow-minded patriot who only saw Assyria. Nineveh was a city in that area. He only saw them as a people that needed to be destroyed, not as lost individuals who needed to be saved. Jonah was more concerned about his reputation than he was the people that he had been sent to minister to. And here's the reality. When reputation is more important than character and pleasing ourselves and our friends is more important than pleasing God, then we're in danger of living to defend our own prejudices instead of fulfilling our spiritual responsibilities. Is our life about the priorities of the Lord? His priorities for our life? Or are we more concerned about how we'll look, how people will think of us if we decide to do what God's called us to do? We have to have an attitude of humility. We have to have the proper perspective. Now, Jonah had good theology. Think about it. I mean, he knew all about repentance and forgiveness, and, and he knew that God would do this. He knew God was gracious and compassionate and merciful. His theology was okay, but it was head knowledge, not heart knowledge. He had the knowledge of God, but he didn't have the heart of God. And he became angry because God showed mercy. But God listens. He's patient with Jonah. He's tender in his response to Jonah. And he asked Jonah to examine his heart. Why are you really angry? Do you really have a right to be angry with me? And at this point, we see that we need to maintain a righteous character. And that's really the issue. Jonah's heart is, he's got a heart problem. His character, he doesn't have the character, the mind of Christ, the mind of God, the character of God. He he needs to examine his heart. And we need to do the same thing on a regular basis. In everything that we do, we need to have a proper character. Jonah, he abandons his place of ministry for a second time. He's like the the son of the, uh, the, the brother of the prodigal son. The son returns, everybody's having a feast, but Luke 15, 28 tells us the older brother became angry and refused to go into the feast, so his father went out and pleaded with him. You know, here's the really the sad part is that Jonah, he could have been a part of all this celebration going on. He could have taught the Ninevites so much about the God they now chose to serve, but instead he's angry and he runs off by himself. He runs away once again from God's plan for him. He runs away from the presence of God. What a tragedy it is when God's people become a source of blessing for others but miss the blessing themselves. And that's what happens. He could have been a part of this great celebration. He could have, he could have led, discipled these people, but instead he chose to throw a pity party for himself. What are people going to think of me back home? What are they going to do to me when I get back home? What do these people think? Now I'm saying I'm a prophet, 
And, and the message I delivered didn't come true. And I guarantee you, those Ninevites were not worried about the message that Jonah had preached, whether or not it had happened. They were just thankful to be alive and thankful for the mercy of God and the grace of God. But Jonah, he can't see any of that. He can't see what God has done. Instead, we see him pouting under a tree. He knew, he knew that God was going to do this. Jonah, we see the Lord... Jonah's uncomfortable. God knows he's uncomfortable. So the Lord orchestrates this lesson. He uses this plant that grows to provide shade. And then he, he sends a worm to attack the plant, to kill the plant. Then he sends the scorching wind. And between the, the heat and the sun, uh, all of this is beating down on Jonah. Jonah is so miserable that he wants to die. And all of this... God's intentional in everything he does, right? All of this, God is teaching him, trying to teach him the same lesson that he was attempting to teach him in the belly of that fish. He was teaching him that without God, life is miserable. That he was making him so desperate that he would understand maybe what it means to be lost without hope, helpless, with no no hope of a future, no hope of rescue, what it really felt like to be miserable without God so that maybe he would have compassion on these people that he was preaching to who were lost. Yeah, they were evil, but they were lost with no hope themselves. And God's trying to teach Jonah this lesson, but he's unwilling to see it at this point. You know, Abraham Lincoln, it's been said that, that somebody advised him one time about a, a, a person that needed to be on his cabinet. And, you know, Abraham Lincoln was, uh, he was witty. He was uh, a great leader. He was, you know, he, he was very direct and to the point. Um, he didn't care about differences he had with people. As long as they could get the job done, he would use them. But this one particular guy, he, wouldn't, he didn't want on his cabinet. And the guy said, well, the guy recommending, the, recommending him said, why not? And he said, well, I just don't like his face. <laughs> and, you know, you think about it. And, and, you know, he just, he always, in other words, he always looks sad. He's always glasses half empty, that kind of thing. And, and the guy who was recommending him said, well, you know, the guy isn't responsible for his face. And Abraham Lincoln said something that's, that's pretty profound. He said, every man over 40 is responsible for his face. <laughs> what was he talking about? Well, we're all responsible for our attitude and our action. It doesn't matter what's going on in life. Life's tough. I mean, it's good. It's great. I love my life. I love my family. I love what I do. I love serving the Lord. But life's tough sometimes. I can't control what happens to me, can I? God's in control of that. I can't, I mean, if the storm's going to come, it's going to come. I can't stop it. But what I can control is how I respond to it. Jonah, he couldn't control what God was going to do or not going to do. That wasn't his concern, really. His concern was obedience, how he responded to what God had called him to do. And right now, he is failing that test miserably. He is not responding to the Lord the way that he should we're responsible for our attitude and, we, and when we, you know, our actions, we, when we make poor choices, we have to live with the consequences. And this should encourage us, like God's trying to get Jonah to do, this should encourage us to examine our own character. We should examine our own motives. You know, what makes us angry? What makes us happy? If we're not happy right now, why is that? 
if, if we're not satisfied where God has placed us, what's the problem? What, what is it that motivates us? We need to examine our hearts. Jonah was, as it says in James 1.8, he was a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You know, one minute he's preaching the word of God, the next minute he's disobeying God's word to him. You know, one minute he's talking about repentance, calling a people, you know, pronouncing judgment, and, and yet he's unwilling to show repentance himself. The same thing that those evil people did. He was more concerned about his reputation than he was about winning the lost. One minute it seems like he's on track, the next minute he's running from God again, running from the presence of God, running from his plan for his life. The Ninevites, the plant, the worm, the storm, the wind, the water, everybody in this story, everything in this story is obeying God except, again, his prophet, God's prophet. What a, what a disappointing testimony, right, for this, this prophet of God. As God's servants, we need to maintain a righteous character. We also need to be committed to being teachable disciples. Are we willing to grow? Are we willing to be taught? Are we willing to be molded? Are we willing to learn from God who desires to mold us and shape us into the image of his son? And everything that happened, Jonah still has a problem with the will of God. Again, you think he's gotten back on track, but he still has a problem with the will of God. In chapter 3, he submits. He goes and he does what God tells him to do. But, but here we are in chapter 4, and it seems like there's been no progress. And so I have to believe, or I have to at least ask the question, did Jonah really fully ever submit, ever fully submit to the Lord? Was his heart really ever 100% committed to God, or was it, was it fear? Was it, okay, God, I'll obey? You know, I mean, I think that, I mean, I believe that prayer in chapter 2 was sincere, but I don't think Jonah has ever fully submitted to God. And that becomes evident in chapter 4. Because he's still got the same problem he, he had in chapter 1. He's got a problem with God's will for his life. Jonah wasn't 100% committed. A Andrew committed. Uh, Andrew Carnegie once said this. He said, the average person puts only 25% of his energy and ability into his work. The world takes off its hat to those who put more than 50% of their capacity, and it stands on its head for those few and far between souls who devote 100%. And think about this for just a moment. Just use your spiritual imagination for a minute. What might have happened had Jonah responded to what God had done with rejoicing and with celebration and with discipling these Folks who had turned their hearts to the Lord. What, what might have happened? I mean, what, what's already happened in that city is amazing, okay? In the city of Nineveh with this about face, with God's incredible showing of mercy and grace. But what might have been for Jonah? I mean, really, you think about it. He's the one that's got the most to gain here. I mean, they, they've, they, these individuals, I mean, as far as they were concerned, their, their destiny was death. I mean, they, they had no hope. They've already received salvation. But Jonah, he's the prophet of God. What might have been in his life, in the life of those individuals in that city, had he obeyed? In chapter 1, Jonah learns the lesson of God's providence, his patience. 
that you can't run from God. In chapter 2, he learns the lesson of God's pardon, that he will forgive folks who confess their sins to him. In chapter 3, he learns the lesson of God's power, that he will save anybody, can and will save anybody, that God's power is, is, is more incredible than any human action, that there's no sin too evil for man to be forgiven of if they will turn to God in repentance. And then chapter 4, Jonah's learning the hard way, the lesson of God's pity, that God has compassion on the lost. And that he calls us, his people, to have compassion on the lost. And so that's the question. Will we have compassion on those people that aren't saved? It seems incredible, but Jonah leads an entire city to the Lord, yet he didn't love the people he was preaching to. I mean, he leads them to God through this message. God saves them, and he couldn't care less about them. He hates them because of what they've done, not thinking at all about what he had done as a sinner. And what we have done as sinners saved by grace. Uh, you know, the, these Assyrians, the Ninevites, they needed to know the Lord just like we need to know the Lord, just like Jonah needed to know the Lord. Jonah had no pity. Even more incredible, he has pity on a plant that dies more than a people who would spend eternity separated from God in hell. More, more pity for the plant that was providing him a little bit of shade. He could care, couldn't care less about these individuals. These were human beings. Yeah, they were evil. But we're all evil in the sight of God. I mean, no sin they committed is any worse than a sin that I've committed because all sin is sin in the eyes of God. Yeah, the consequences are different, but if you sin, you're just as evil as these individuals. Jonah, in the eyes of God, was just as evil before God showed favor on him and called him to be his prophet. But Jonah couldn't see that. All he could see was, I don't like what you're asking me to do, Lord. I don't like the fact that you've shown grace on these people that have been so mean to us. He couldn't see it. He wasn't learning this lesson of, lesson of compassion. He just wasn't willing to listen to the lesson God was teaching him. Tony Dungy, uh, retired coach, of course, coached the Colts, Tampa Bay. Um, he was speaking at a breakfast in 2006, talking about his, his youngest son, Jordan. Jor Jordan was born with uh, a, an issue, uh, a congenital thing where he can't feel pain at all. You know, on the surface, that sounds good, right? I mean, you don't have to worry about pain, but it's really, he, in speaking, he said, I can tell you, it's, it's nothing, nothing can be further from, from that because pain teaches us things, doesn't it? When you think about it as a child, you touch a hot stove, you learn a lesson. Don't touch that again, right? Pain teaches us what to avoid. And he said, he talked about his son who was five at the time. He said, you know, Jordan loves cookies, loves chocolate chip cookies. And he thinks, hey, if they're good, when they've been sitting on the plate for a while, they've got to be even better in the oven. So this had happened. He said, if my wife isn't watching, she's baking cookies, he will open the oven, pull out the rack, pull out the, the tray, and then grab the cookies and eat them, burning his mouth, burning his hands, and never knowing. And he said, listen, we've learned lessons about pain in the five years at that time that they had their son. He said, pain teaches children to turn away from danger. 
as individuals in our lives, God uses pain to teach us that sometimes we need to run away from whatever we're in and run back to God. It teaches us the the need, the overwhelming need to follow God's plan for our lives. It teaches us our desperate need for the protection and the shelter of our Father. And you think about where he was at this time. His son, another son of his in 2005, had taken his own life. And here Tony Dungy is talking about the lessons of pain and pointing them back to the Lord. He says, sometimes pain is the only way The only thing that will turn us as children back to the Father. Unfortunately, God had used everything possible, including pain, to get Jonah's attention. And at least at this point, Jonah's still running from the will of God. Unless you are in the center of God's will, you will not experience all of the joys of knowing the Lord and the joys of fulfilling his purpose for your life. You know, it's kind of like this lazy Susan, right? Like lazy Susans, because I tend to be lazy, right? No. <laughs> but if, if you take a cup and you place it, you know, lazy Susan, what does it do? It spins, right? That's the whole purpose. If you're sitting at the table, salt's on the other side, you spin the lazy Susan, you got the salt. That's the whole purpose. It spins in a circle. Now, if I take this cup, and I place it in the center of the lazy Susan or somewhere around that, it doesn't matter. I can spin it, and the cup's going to stay in place, right? doesn't matter what's going on around it. It's still going to stay in place. And that, that's us in the center of God's will. If we're in the center of God's will, life, whatever life throws at you, you're going to be protected. You're going to be safe in God's hand. Life isn't easy. You have ups and downs, trials, tribulations. But as life spins, we'll be secure. Now, what happens if I take this cup and I place it over to the side and do the same thing? Doesn't take much. Can you help me out? (laughs) Doesn't take much and it goes flying, right? That's the whole point. Thank you, Bo. But that's the whole point. Now, I'll move back a little bit. Think about Jonah. He begins the story outside of God's will. What happens? The storm comes and he gets thrown overboard. He's tossed around, right? He's inside the fish, he repents, he gets in the center of God's will, and he goes into a dangerous city. I mean, his life is in danger, he delivers the message, but he's okay. God protects him. Not only does he protect him, but he ends up turning an entire evil city back to himself. Here Jonah is again. He's running from the will of God again, and what's happening in his life? Once again... He's tossed around. He's sitting under a tree so miserable that he would rather die than to celebrate with these people who have experienced the grace of God. You look at the book of Jonah, and you know, God's word is so incredible and is so intentional. I believe that God makes no mistakes, and I believe every word, every letter is intentional. And this book, you know, it would be great if it was like a movie and it had a happy ending and everybody was, you know, we, the last scene, it fades out and Jonah's celebrating with the Ninevites, teaching them the word of God or something like that. But that's not how this book ends, does it? You look at verse 11 and it ends with a question. God asked Jonah, should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120 persons and about 600, including men and, men and uh, women and children? 
People who do not know the difference between their right and their left hand as well as many animals. The real issue here, though, is not how Jonah answers that question. We don't know. And again, that's intentional. Because that question, yes, it was to Jonah originally, but that question is for all of us. The issue is not how Jonah answers the question. The issue and the reason this book is left the way that it is, the issue is how do you and I answer that question? I mean, do we have compassion for the lost? Do we agree with God that people need to know Him? They need to be saved. Are we willing to obey God to carry His message of salvation to the lost regardless of how it inconveniences us and regardless of what we think of the people He's calling us to preach to, to share with? Do we agree that the, the lost in our city, and listen, this is a great city, but there are a lot, there's a lot of sin that goes on out there. Do we agree with God that those people need to know Jesus? Are we willing to take the message of salvation wherever, including those places that it's dangerous, as Jonah had to? Do we, like God, have compassion for the lost? That's the question. With Jonah... The question's left unanswered. The jury's still out on Jonah. We don't know what happened with Jonah. I like to think maybe he got it together. I don't know. Is the jury still out on us? How do we answer that question? Will we follow? The lesson of the book of Jonah is, will we obey God? It's about the will of God and how we respond to it. But also, it's about the love of God and whether or not we're willing to share it. How will we respond to God's plan for our lives? Let's pray together. God, thank you for your mercy, for your grace. Thank you that you're willing to save any of us. We are all just sinners saved by grace. Those of us who know you, we know that it is nothing that we've done or could do. It is only by your mercy and grace that we're saved. We can't be good enough. We can't do enough good things. We recognize that, that we've all sinned and fallen short of your glory. That we have all disqualified ourselves from your presence because of our actions. Because we, at some point, willfully chose to disobey you. To do things our way instead of your way. And Lord, I pray that if, if there's somebody here today who falls into that category still, that they, they know that they've sinned as we all have and they know they, they need salvation, Lord, I pray that they would, would accept that salvation that only comes through your son Jesus today. That today would be the day of salvation for them. For us, for those of us who know you, that are your people, the question that you pose to Jonah is a question we have to answer. All of us. Is the jury still out on us? Well, do, do we have compassion that you have? Do we look at people the same way that you do? Do we see them as sinners in need of salvation? Or do we see them through the filter of our prejudices? Do we see them as individuals that are too far gone? Do we see our role in sharing with them an inconvenience that we don't want to be bothered with? Or are we willing to give ourselves completely to your will and to be willing to allow 
you to give us a heart of compassion that sees those individuals the same way that you do. God, I pray that we would have a desire to see people come to know you that could only be explained by the miracle of your transforming our hearts and making us like yourself. Lord, I pray that in this moment as we prepare for this time of commitment that you would speak to our hearts and that we would respond to you in obedience. That we would be willing to say yes to whatever you're calling us to do. That we would make the commitments that you're calling us to make. And that we would depend on you each day to keep those commitments. Lord, however you're leading us in this moment, I pray that we would respond as you would have us to respond. For it's in Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen. Would you stand for our time of commitment?